Go Hawks, come on. Awesome. I, I, I mean, not, I wasn't a hockey fan growing up because there weren't a lot of hockey teams in Oklahoma. Um, but that's been one of the blessings of living here for 25 years. It's been awesome. Uh, if you ask me, uh, a lot of people ask me, why, why, why is Parkview, you know, this? What, 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 what's, what, what's in the Kool-Aid? What are you guys doing? And, and I would say that um, if you ask the early church the same question, the answers would be the same. The reason the church grew so fast in the, in the first century, right after Jesus was here, was because they hadn't turned it into a religion yet, okay? So all they could do was point people to Jesus. That's, that's really all they did. They didn't have to turn religious. Well, after you turn religious, that's when you become like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with that, the prodigal son runs away, you know, dad loves him, he runs away, the older brother is back home, and he's not happy that his little brother took dad's money and went and screwed it up, you know, living in wild living down in the city. And we've termed that around here, gracism, gracism. It's, I deserve to be with the father, but you don't. You understand? Uh, that, that's what happens in religion. Let me just point it to you, okay? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered to his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, don't forget where he's been, Dad, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You see that? And the word prostitute in there, okay, it could mean a a woman who sells herself or it could have just meant a woman who was easy like Sunday morning. Okay, you get get what I'm saying? Okay. Here's my question, all right? That's That's my translation. Here's my question. How does the older brother know that the younger brother has been with prostitutes. He's still out in the field. He hasn't talked to his brother yet. He doesn't have any idea where he is. It's not like he's been following him on Facebook, okay? This was a long time ago. There were no party selfies out there, right? And I guess I would assume the same thing, but I also wonder if the older brother in some way was maybe just a little jealous of the younger brother. The older brother is assuming that his younger brother is out with party girls. And here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. Look at what he says. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Okay? Uh, Let's see that again. Slaving. Do you notice that word slaving? Right? I've been slaving here while he's been out partying. Slaving and party-less. That's where I've been. Right? This is the most stunning definition of religion you will ever find in the Bible. Religion, definition, slaving and partyless. You say, well, what, what's ha- what happens at Parkview? Well, we're not that, okay? And by the way, what does the older brother say? What does the dad say to the older brother? He says, my son, he says, my son, everything I have, you're always with me, and everything I have is always yours. Translation, my son, who said that you couldn't have a a party? Go get a goat, man, barbecue some veal. Who said you couldn't do that? Have some friends over. Do you even have any friends? I mean, come on. But we (laughs) had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So what do we do? We have a 
partay, right? That's what we do. And if you could get out of your head this slaving relationship with your heavenly father and this party-less attitude that, 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 that religious people have with, with God, then you find a reason for celebration and there won't be room for everybody that wants to be a part of that. And that's how the father always wanted it. So guess what? Next week is Father's Day. Um, we are one of the few churches, probably maybe the only church in the country that has more people for Father's Day than Mother's Day. Normally, Mother's Day, you know, Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? I want you to come to church with me. <laughs> okay, right? And so, and so, you know, you put on your, your party-less hat and you're, you go to your slave. Am I right or am I right? You know, okay, Mom, I'll go slave and party-less with you, okay? But, but, but that's not how we do it here. And Father's Day, we blow it out. We make it a blast. Uh, we're going to have tattoos for everybody next week. We're going to, it's born to be wild. I mean, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a man. And we're going to have five services, okay? Five next week like we normally do during the year. So two on Saturday night, 3.45 and 5.30. And I want you, kind of today, I want to kind of unpack what I want you to do and how I want you to go out and tell everybody else that doesn't, that, that, that thinks that God is boring and dull and that they have to slave for him. And I want you to invite them to come back next week and prove to them that, that a relationship with God doesn't have to be that way, all right? Um, John Mayer is one of my favorite artists and one of his best, I think his best, my favorite John Mayer song, it's an old one, it's called Comfortable. It's a song he wrote to uh, an ex-girlfriend. He's got a new girlfriend, but he's writing to his ex-girlfriend saying, man, we were so comfortable back then, you know, and my friends all, all like this new girl, but the deal is the new girl is a Christian in this song. And she says the Bible is all that she reads, prefers that I not use profanity, you know, she's kind of, kind of one of those, kind of one of those people, you know, she's, she's got this, 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 this thing that she, she wants to live this life, right? And he's like, I, I don't understand this, but the, but the line that kills me is, is, she thinks I can't see the smile that she's faking, posing for pictures, poses for pictures that aren't being taken. That's religion. It's hypocrisy. And people can see through that. Hypocrisy. How about in dogs? Let's look, okay? Uh, that dog wants to be a teddy bear, but it's a dog, <clears throat> all right? This dog wants to be Chewbacca. Oh, Vladimir, yes, you have a dog. Sorry, I don't know if this gets all the way over to the, the towel dog. You got some of, the, some of you got those. How about <laughs> Sid, it's Sid, he's there. How about dogs that look like fried chicken? Is that scary? Ooh, weird. Looked like a mop with a face, right? And some of you remember Cousin It. There's the dog right there. That's, that's awesome. Dog looks like Jabba the Hutt. Come on. And my all-time favorite, the Richard Branson dog. That's great right there, okay? So Richie has a dog named, uh, yeah, it looks like him. What a lot of people in the world see is something that ought to be a representation of Jesus, but it's actually slaving and partyless. And many of them are, are following rules that are made up anyway, okay? Here's, here's the big problem for me. You and I grew up with made-up rules added on to the Bible. Every one of us did. I don't care if you grew up Catholic or, you know, not Catholic or whatever. We all did. If you grew up Catholic, let's just, you know, throw one out there. How about eating meat on Fridays during Lent, right? 
Fish Fridays, right? Okay, you, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with that. There's nothing wrong with fasting and, and, and that kind of an idea, but it was forced upon you as, as a way of saying this is something that you must do if you want to be a part of our faith, okay? And, and that's not in the Bible. I, I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, fasting's in the Bible, but, but, but not forced. Nobody should force you to try to, to say this is what you should do to make you be more like a, a a Christian should look like, all right? For me, I didn't grow up Catholic. I grew up in a, in, a, in a non-denominational church. But for me, there were two things I'll just talk about for a second, and they're important. Alcohol and facial hair, <laughs> okay? Those are very important, all right? Now, listen, I don't care whether you drink alcohol or not. I hate what alcoholism does to people. I'm on the other side of alcoholism a lot, dealing with families who are broken up by it. And I'm not sure why God made the fermentation process in the first place. I'm also not sure why he made those plants that you can dry out and roll up and smoke and get high either. Okay? I don't know. I don't know why he made mosquitoes. You didn't ask me. I don't understand all those things. Okay? But listen, our responsibility from day one when he put us in the garden, our responsibility was creation management. I have to decide how I think God wants me to work out all the stuff that he has made. So, just in case you're wondering, I don't smoke weed, okay? I know some of you are like, wow, no, really, I don't. <laughs> even, even if I lived in Colorado, you know, like some of my friends do, I wouldn't smoke, uh, I wouldn't smoke marijuana. I mean, medicinally, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever happens is fine. But this, that's my version of creation management, okay? I do kill as many mosquitoes as I possibly can. And I would encourage you to do the same. And I also drink alcohol. I enjoy it responsibly, as the ad says, but I do. And because when I would push back as a kid and they would say, well, you shouldn't have alcohol, I was like, well, wait a minute, I'm confused because when I read the Bible, like, Jesus made wine. What did Jesus turn the water into? And the answer was, and if you haven't heard this before, the answer was, well, it was a watered-down, weak version of wine that they drank back then. <laughs> Um, it was watered down. It had very low alcohol content. Seriously. Do you think Jesus would make Boone's Farm for his first miracle? Does that add up to you? Not only do I not believe that, but, but when you read the passage of Scripture about Jesus making wine, the master of the feast comes and he goes, man, what is this stuff? This is the best wine we've ever had. Most people serve Boone's Farm after everybody's a little wasted, but you brought out the best stuff. This is good stuff. I don't know if it was a Merlot or a Malbach. I know it was good wine, okay? And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, that the fish and the bread, when he multiplied it, I bet it got better too, you know? It's all of a sudden wild-caught mahi-mahi fish tacos everybody's eating, okay? Because Jesus is pretty good at miracles. He didn't give the blind guys back just one eye. <laughs> Darn, I'm a pirate. No. <laughs> Jesus made wine. And Jesus drank wine. He was called a glutton and a drunkard. And even though he was neither, he did not deny that he drank. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. And the son of man, me, I came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
That was Jesus saying, listen, John was an abstainer and you thought he was crazy, and I was not an abstainer and you didn't like that either, so what's your problem? The, the, the deal is Jesus did drink wine, so I drink wine. Partially I drink red wine because it's good for your heart. At least the reports that I read tell me. <laughs> I don't read any of the other ones, but the ones I read say it's good for my heart. And partly I drink red wine because I like it. And partly I drink red wine because I hate stupid rules. Because stupid rules get in the way of Jesus. I hate slaving and party-less because that's not how my heavenly father wants me to live my life. I hate stupid rules so much. Here's the other one. I, I haven't had a clean-shaven face since May of 1983. I have always had some form of facial hair. For a while, it was a Tom Selleck mustache, you know, <laughs> during the Magnum P.I. days. Um, <laughs> There's always been something here, and here's why. I didn't really realize it. It's not like a, 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 a conscious decision on my part, but the deal was in Bible college, we weren't allowed to have facial hair. Now, I didn't care. probably couldn't grow a beard back then, but I didn't like that. So my first speech in communication class in freshman year of college was, Jesus had a beard. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a little trouble in Bible college, um, <laughs> staying in, okay? Now... No, no one at that college ever said Jesus didn't have a beard. It was their rule back then, okay? And it's not anymore. You can grow a beard at that college because everybody's wearing their Black Hawk rally beards now, right? You know what I'm saying? It's cool, right? So, so I, you know, I get that. So I, I literally had about four or five days of stubble at graduation, and I have not shaved completely my face since then. That's how immature I am about stupid rules, I'm still sticking it to the man. <laughs> 32 years later, I'm still sticking it to the man. And when you bury me, there better be facial hair on my face. Okay, that's all I'm saying. But hey, listen, if you run a college and, and, or, and you don't like beards or, or clothing with polka dots, it's your prerogative, seriously. They went back and looked up some of the early rules at this Bible college, and back in the 50s, Back when my parents were going there to the same college, they literally had a rule that women could not wear polka dot clothing. You might say, well, why would they do that? It's because they were afraid the men might be tempted to poke the dots. I can't make this stuff up. But okay, if it's your college, you can have whatever rules you want. If it's your business, you can, your company softball team, you have your rules, and then people will have to decide if they want to be a part of it or not. And there is the problem. By the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees had added hundreds of rules to the actual rules that God gave us that were for our benefit. And they turned it from being God's house into a slavery club. And Jesus was so mad at them, at one point he, he, he goes into the temple and opens up a can on them because he's so mad at them. And here's another passage to show you. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined <clears throat> at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. I mean, the hygiene and everything, but Jesus didn't feel the need. So the Lord said to him, 
Here's the problem. You don't ever want to have like bad thoughts about Jesus because he can read your mind. Okay. (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, now then, uh, I know what you're thinking. So you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You're hypocrites. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what's inside, you be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. In other words, worry about the stuff that matters, not the stuff that doesn't matter. Listen to me. If you take this out of first century context and put it into 21st century context, doesn't that sound a lot like John Mayer's girlfriend? Turning the father's house into a slavery club with no reason to party. So Jesus came along and broke a bunch of their rules on purpose. I mean, literally on purpose to prove a point. And he even broke some of the legitimate rules because he seemed to want to prove a point. And what was the point? The point was that rule following was not going to make everything all right. Rule following wasn't the point. The heart was the point. You nullify the word of God, Jesus said, for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And they worship me in vain because their teachings are merely human rules. One of the experts in the law answered him and said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, thanks for reminding me. And by the way, you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load, listen to this phraseology, you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Sounds like religion. Does it not? Jesus said, I'm not here to load more burdens down on people. I'm here to save people. I'm here to have a party with the lost boys and the lost girls. And the text for his very first sermon came out of Isaiah. Listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, both eyes, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to play you a a video from Miranda Lambert, country singer married to Blake Shelton. Um, It's one of her early songs, and it's a song I've referenced several times about uh, Jesus drinking wine, but I, I, I looked it up this week. I had tears in my eyes when I was watching the end of this song because this is exactly what I'm talking about. I, I, just, just listen to Miranda. She'll explain it for you. Miranda grew up in Oklahoma like me where the wind comes sweeping down the plains and good Christians don't drink wine, and she got confused through that experience, and I don't know if she's come out on the other side or not. I mean, I, I hope so. But listen to me. Liking Jesus and thinking he's cool is not all there is to it. There's more. I mean, we're supposed to follow him. But tattoos and cigarettes 
and alcohol are all made up extra rules. Why would her daddy cry when she got a tattoo? I mean, maybe he didn't want her to, you know, put a mark on her body for whatever reason, but I'm guessing it's because some preacher who didn't understand scripture very well got up and said the tattoos were wrong, and they're not. That's a made up rule. And yeah, kids, hey, smoking cigarettes is bad for you. Don't do it, don't start. But so was the white flour, white sugar sheet cake they were eating at their church potluck dinner. <laughs> and if we could stop adding slavery to Christianity, maybe Jesus, I mean, the, the line that gets me is, is, is Miranda, you know, it's the prodigal being, you know, Jesus toasting them at the end and saying, welcome home. That's exactly what he came here for. And, and if we can get out of his way and Miranda can stop smoking and turn in the kind of girl that you do want to take home to mama, which evidently she did along the way. This is an old song. But, but literally, do you see what I'm saying? This is what, this is what we've been talking about in the series, Jesus Misplaced. It's been about the fact that Jesus did almost all of his work out there. Almost all of the interactions that he had with people were out there, out of the church, not in the church. And that's what his followers ought to be doing. An example, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. His name was also Matthew. So in Matthew's version that he wrote, he talks about himself in Matthew terms, but it's the same guy, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. He's a tax collector. He's a bad guy. He's a gangster. He's a mobster, basically. He's a drug dealer. He's in that kind of a category. This guy makes the prodigal son look like a saint. Jesus said, hey, you want to follow me? And the Holy Spirit had been working on Matthew on Levi because Levi said, yeah. And then the very next thing that happens, the very next verse, is that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come for the sinners, to call them to repentance. Uh, Modern-day translation, C.T. Studd. Some want to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. That's the mantra of Parkview. He's not saying the Pharisees are perfect. He, he, he's saying the Pharisees don't get it, so I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince the religious people that they need me. There's a whole bunch of other people out there who already get it, people who already know they're sick. Uh, one, of, one of the heroes in this is sitting in this audience right now, right here, okay? Keith and Tammy. Keith graduated from Moody Bible Institute like a long time ago, 100 years ago. And he came out of Moody Bible Institute and he thought, wait a minute, Jesus wants me to go to where the people need me. So he moved into Inglewood. Small little white guy, he moved into Inglewood. You understand this? And he's been running this ministry in Inglewood because, uh, you know, I mean, all the rest of us Bible college graduates, we were all like, I'm going to go out, you know, with my own people out in the suburbs, right? But no, he, I mean, that's what they did. That's what they do. And they've lived there all these years. And they got their whole family here. I just want to say thank you to you. I don't even know why you guys are all here. 
Why would he do that? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what we're He's misplaced. He's Jesus misplaced. I'm calling Matthew's house a misplaced. Do you see that? Jesus, why are you in that place? It would be the modern-day equivalent of a bar. Guy walks into a bar. His name is Jesus. Kind of turns it around, doesn't it? Places full of sinners that are eating and drinking. Place that good Christians from Oklahoma shouldn't be in. Incredible irony in this story is the Pharisees know these people need God too. They ought to be at Levi's house at the party helping them come to God. But they don't think they're supposed to be there because that's the wrong place. And this guy who's only been a believer for maybe a few minutes, what does he do? The most natural thing anybody ought to do. He says, hey, let's have a party for Jesus and all you guys come over and meet him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. When you find a doctor who cures you, don't you want to go tell all your friends that have the same problem, right? I mean, I mean hey, you guys got to go try this. this. This guy healed me. This is it. The, the beauty, uh, again, every time we've studied one of these situations, a Samaritan woman, she goes back to the town. The demon-possessed guy, he tells the whole ten cities, the Decapolis, all the things that Jesus had done. And all the people come, and they're amazed. That's what happens. That's why they call evangelism one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's, that's really all this whole thing is. And I've seen this happen. You know my story of working with the biker guy at the health club. And, and as, soon as, as soon as he came to Jesus, as soon as he started, you know, working on his relationship with Jesus, he started inviting everybody else. And so we're tag teaming at the health club with these other people. And one day he, ta- he turns to this guy. We're working out with this other guy. And he turns to this guy and he's like, hey. Were you, uh, were you in church this weekend? You know, because he'd been inviting him, and he'd come to a different service from time to time. And the other guy's like, no, no, I didn't make it. M- Mike goes, oh, that's right, I forgot you're a heathen. <laughs> he actually used another word after heathen. Um, you're a heathen B word that, like, has to do with being an illegitimate child. Mike said, oh, I forgot you're a heathen B word. Okay. The beauty of new believers is they can say things I can never get away with. (laughs) I've used this illustration all over the country. I really have. And sometimes if I'm in a smaller group of people, I'll give out a magnet that we had made that simply says HB question mark. HB question mark. And and I ask them, who's your HB? Okay? And and I know, you know, don't, don't use the other B word. Substitute buddy in there. Okay? Who's your heathen buddy? That's what I want to know. That, that, that's what the question is. Who is your HB? I mean, if you are an HB, welcome. We're glad that you're here. This is a church for you. But if you already believe in Jesus, the first thing you need is to go back out to the friends that you have that are your HBs and, and help them find Jesus. As soon as Matthew started following Jesus, that's the beauty of the good news. And the problem is the longer we're believers, this is the problem with most churches, the longer we're, longer we're believers, the less we hang out with the people out there and the more we start huddling up in here. That's why the church has to constantly go be misplaced for Jesus. And listen, I have to say this because I know, I know what I'm saying. I know there are people who are going to take this freedom and, um, and they're going to abuse it. That's the problem with freedom. That's what's happening. Listen, here's not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're in college and you're under 21, that you should go party with your friends so that you can win them over to Jesus, okay? I'm saying if you can handle it, you should go with them and be with them and not drink because it's illegal. 
Paul said, I will become all things to all men, but I will not be mastered by any. Okay, you know what you can handle. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, guys, you should go to the strip clubs with your friends so that you could be a normal guy and maybe minister to them, all right? Jesus says salt does no good in the shaker, but salt also does no good if it's not salty, all right? Here's my definition. A Christian ought to look like the kind of person who isn't slaving away to religion, but is enjoying a relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is making their life better. I talked to some people last night after the service. They're like, all our friends are just like blown away at our lives and what's going on. What is that? Well, that's Jesus. That's how it works. I want my HBs in my life to see me having fun and not being tied down to stupid rules, but I also want them to see me enjoying a 31-year marriage and respect women. So that doesn't work at a strip club. You see what I'm saying? So where do you find your HBs? Where do you find them? All right. Where's your Matthews house? Well, for some of you, it's like all around you, right? You, you work there, you live there, whatever. Okay. And my suggestion is that you concentrate on one or two at a time. All right. Don't, don't put overtly Christian stuff all over your cubicle. Okay. We'll put a big cross on your wall. Don't be blasting your Michael W. Smith worship CD, you know. Don't write smoking or non-smoking. Where would you like to spend eternity on the whiteboard in the break room? I will slap you down. Just find one or two HBs, heathen buddies, and establish a relationship with them. Some other suggestions. Bill Hybels wrote these. Strategic patronizing. Go to the same restaurants. Go, go, go to the same places and get to know the servers and the people that are there. How about strategic exercise and recreation? That's what I go to. The, go to a health club and, and meet some people. What is it you like to do? Go, go run with some people. Don't run. If you have a running club, if you want to run, don't run with Christians. You know, maybe a few, but, but run. You know, don't. don't that, you don't want to know. We're not big into, into sports here, like having church sports teams. Because I, I want you to go be on those sports teams. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we could have a league. We could have, a, you know, our own softball league here. And we got to all play each other and punch each other out and swear at each other like, you know, all church softball leagues. But we, we decided that we don't want to do that. We, we want you to go play on the teams where they're already doing that and help be Jesus to them. Do you see what I'm saying? Strategic, civic, community, and school involvements. Some of you have people right naturally. I mean, if you've got kids... You're already involved in stuff with them, and, and, and that's how that works. makes it simple. Colossians says, make the most of every opportunity to go be Jesus to the people around you. I gave you this again. We did this back in the fall. Pull this out of your bulletin. Who's in your hood? Do you even know your neighbors? I mean, we did this back in the fall if you were around. If you weren't, I want you to pull this out. I want you to think about it. Do you even know who your neighbors are? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, in Jerusalem. Where is that? That's your neighborhood. That's where you live right now. And uh, I included this in my book. I, I've got copies of Life on Mission, the book I wrote out there. We ran out last week, so I'm going to sign them again. I'm giving all the money away if we make any money off of it. I, I just want, I'd love for you to have a copy. I'll sign it. I'll talk to you afterwards out there. That's the gist of this. Who is in your neighborhood? Who is it that you're supposed to be called to right now? If you don't even know their names, then you've got some work to do, all right? But listen, maybe it literally is a bar. Maybe it literally is. Two really interesting bar stories, 
one you've kind of heard before. Um, Bill Brown, our executive pastor, came to Christ in that same kind of church as me in, you know, in southern Illinois um, where drinking was frowned upon. And he came to Christ as a high schooler. So when he came to Christ, you know, immediately started doing everything that they said he was supposed to do and not doing the things he thought they were not supposed to do. Problem was, Bill's dad ran the VFW hall, which was basically a, a veteran's bar. And Bill got it in his brain because of the people that were surrounding him and the people that were in his life. He got it in his brain that that was not a good place because it was a bar and he wasn't supposed to go in there. And he's, he ended up with a great relationship with his dad at the end of his life. But he said, I was so conflicted all my life because I wanted to go be with my dad, but I didn't feel like I could go to the bar. Isn't that sad? His dad didn't go to church. You know why his dad didn't go to church? Because he saw the hypocrisy of Christianity and didn't want to have anything to do with it. And because nobody would come and hang out with him in the VFW hall. He's still a believer. He's still going to be with us in heaven. Miranda Lambert and, you know, all the other people that believe in Jesus but couldn't get past the rules. Contrast that with a situation we had in our life where um, at age 20, our daughter, Rachel, went to England to start a campus ministry. And, and, and before she went over there, they said, listen, you got to know this as we're going into this. You're going to have to sign off on Rachel being able to drink alcohol because even though she's age 20, that's legal drinking age over there. And we can't go do a campus ministry in England unless we allow the kids to go to the pub. And you can't go in a pub and order up a Diet Coke and expect that anybody's going to talk to you. So we had to sign off. And they said, don't worry, there's a, they have a two-drink maximum. They're, you know, they're, they're, we're going we're gonna to pay attention to this. But my 20-year-old, we had to sign off on my 20-year-old daughter learning to drink beer for Jesus. Because, <laughs> you know, in England, I mean, like, the drinking age is 11, I think. I mean, <laughs> they have Guinness in their bottles. I mean, this is how they live over there. So they had to go. They had to be credible. And she went over there. And, and most of you know the rest of the story. They started a great campus ministry over there. In a pub, she also met this guy named Ash, who she helped... find Jesus and married him and now he's raising my grandson because she drank beer for Jesus. <laughs> so I drink beer for Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us what the kingdom should look like. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and inviting many guests. At the time of the banquet, it's at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to, to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. They all began to make excuses. A servant came back and reported this to the master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the, blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, then go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The people who think they're healthy, they're not coming to the party. 
They don't think they need it. But the ones who need it, that's who we're supposed to be misplaced to. And the truth is, the way Jesus lived his life made him misplaced in his religious culture, and it would make him misplaced in a lot of religious cultures today. But I'm not following a religious culture. I'm following Jesus. We have communion here every week. It's very important to us, and we're going to do that right now. It's, a, it's, it's exactly like what Jesus did everywhere he went. He'd have a meal with people. He would have a meal with sinners. And the people, the religious people would say, why are you having a meal with sinners? And, and I think he was saying, because that's what I'm going to do till the end of time. I'm going to have meals with sinners. And I'm going to do it every week at Parkview Church at the end of their service. I'm going to have a meal with sinners. Sinners like me, sinners like you. We're all welcome here. And we're going to commemorate this, this meal in a way that is exactly like Miranda Lambert imagined it. We'll be toasting the fact that we get a chance to come home. It's the Lord's Supper. And it's the celebration that I'm talking about. It's about his death. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a memory. His, in memory of Jesus' death, we remember that his death made this all possible for us. But it's also a celebration, a way to give thanks. Because you were the prodigal, and I am, was the prodigal, and this is our party. And when Jesus comes back again in the book of Revelation and we all get to gather around the, the, the heavenly banquet, he says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Well, let me tell you something. That's you. That's me. Let's do it. God, be with us right now as we, uh, as we don't take lightly the price that was paid for our freedom. We don't take lightly the, the sin that's in our life that causes us to be messed up. Whether the, 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 rules, the real rules you gave us to live or whether they're the added on rules, we can all mess our lives up really, really quickly. We are all sinners. And that's why we need you. That's why we needed you to send your son to die on a cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So while we remember that, and maybe for some we accept that today, we also realize it's a reason for celebration. Lord, if there are people in this room right now who have been prodigals and they didn't think there was a church where they could come home, will you help them to know that? And help them to know that you as the Father have been waiting for them to come? And if there are people who have been prodigals all their life and they've never turned their life over to you, let them right now, as they eat this bread and drink this cup, say, Jesus, I get it. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. Yeah, there's a bunch of hypocrites. It doesn't matter. That's about my heart and your heart, and I'm giving my heart to you. I accept you. Be with us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray.